Good morning. It is good to have this number out with us for our morning half of our worship service. It's always a blessing to see each and every one's faces and to come together and to glorify God in a worship service. And previous to this, in a Bible class, to study, study from His Word and learn about the things that He would have us to do. But this morning, I want us to focus on something that's, that's kind of been picking in my mind. Before and after. We think about many befores and afters. You might even look at pictures of a, uh, of a remodel. You'll see pictures of, of a before and then pictures of an, of an after. You might even remember way back when I was going through uh, some old photos. That are, well, I say old photos. They've been not, not that long, but some photos of Melissa and I in, in our early stages of our marriage and looking at all the photos of before and after, right? We see the as the years tick by, we tend to change just a little bit. Our homes, they change. They have go through remodels or, or whatever. Of course, in my, my, in my instance, our vehicles change. They go from a before to an after. You and I, as a child of God, have had a before and an after. Those who are outside of Christ don't have this after that we're going to be talking about at the latter end of this lesson. They are still in there before. We have wonderful biblical examples of, of befores and afters about the, uh, the earth before the flood. The flood changed the earth dramatically. There's certain things that, that didn't happen in right after a creation that it happens now, like it raining. It didn't rain then, it rains now. It's a before and an after. But a before and an after typically results in something happening. The flood, the wickedness of men, uh, God repenting that he had made man and sending the flood to destroy everything upon the earth, as we made mention of this morning, uh, except eight souls and all two by two animals that was up on the ark. Before and after. How about Jesus Christ? He, he was a little bit of a, of, a, of a different scenario, if you will. He had a couple of befores and a couple of afters. We're going to set him aside. We're not going to use him this morning right now at the example of, of a before and after. How about the Apostle Paul? What a wonderful example of a before and an after. We're going to get to him in the next few minutes. Well, how about Adam and Eve? Y'all remember what happened to Adam and Eve, right? They had a before and an after. Something had to happen. Something happened significant for them to have an after. What significance that is, you might ask? Disobeying God. For the first time ever. Sin arriving here upon this earth. And now we have an after. They had an after. You and I have an after. I'm going to clarify. Before upon this earth. There was no sin. God looked at his creation. He said it was good. Now for God to say good. You and I use good often. Well this tastes good. and That's a good person. and That's, that's a good restaurant to go eat. Or. Or, in general, it's a good day. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Right? We use the term good in general. When God uses the term good, it's significant. When God looked at His creation and said it was good, it pleased Him what He had made. 
He was happy. Until the moment that sin revived or arrived here upon this earth. Before that sin, God seen it, it was perfect. It pleased him. But then when that sin arrived and that separation happened, God instituted his plan of salvation, prophesying his son, defeating Satan, and casting Adam and Eve out of the garden. You think they looked back and said, what were we thinking? You ever been there before? You ever been there before and said, what was I thinking? Go back to him. That was, that was just dumb. I've said that to myself many a times. What was I thinking? And many times we think, boy, if I could go back and make that change, I would. Do you think Adam and Eve would make that change? Look at what's happening to them now. They're separated from God. Now they're on their own. It was cast out of the Garden of Eden. Because one disobedient act. Let's move forward several thousand years to today. There are many befores out there running around. Now when I say befores, we're talking sin in the world. Sin in the world because of that disobedient, disobedient act of Adam and Eve. Now we have sin in the world. We need an after why do I say we need an after? Because we're going to learn this morning through scriptures that sin is going to kill us. People. It's going to destroy us spiritually. For God hates it and He sees you as His enemy. We need an after. Because as we are in before repentance, before confession, before learning what God would have you to do, and before immersion, you are lost. L-O-S-T, lost. Why do I spell it out? Because it's significant. As we learn from the scriptures that so many search and seek out that wide and broad gate and they go into it. You know what that gate leads to? Destruction. This morning, we're going to start. That's where we're going to end. Let me turn back a little bit. Romans chapter 6. Many of us know these few verses by heart. I want us to turn there because I love to hear those pages of your Bible's turning. So as sin is now in the world, something needs to happen. Something needs to go from a before to an after today. The reason why I say Christ was a little bit different, we're going to use him a little bit later. Well, he's different. He had a couple of befores and a couple of afters. Today, you and I are, or as children of God, once were before, we've had an after, but we don't want to go back to the before. We're going to see that right here. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Well, before we get into that, we've got to get a little bit of context. Well, chapter 5, verses 12 through 21, actually talks about what we were talking about in the introduction to this lesson. Adam sinning, bringing sin into the world, and through that disobedient act, sin was extended to mankind. Or that death was extended to mankind. But through that disobedient act, one came to this earth, Jesus Christ was obedient to the Father, and had an opportunity to abolish death. To be able to, to get rid of it. 
because where sin abounds, God's grace abounds so much more. We find that in chapter 5 of Romans in verse 20. So now we have a little bit of context. Chapter 6, verse 1 of Romans. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Think about that. That's, that's appalling to think about. If God hates sin, and he has to have more grace than there is sin in the world, well, that, the, the question that revived this, or the thought that revived this question is, well, let's just help God out by sinning more. Since God has more grace and there is sin, let's just help him out by doing that. Should we just continue in sin so grace may abound? Paul actually screams it out in verse 2. It's two words and an exclamation point. He's getting a point across. Because what does sin do to us? It destroys us as people. He says, certainly not. He screams, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? An after happened. Wait a minute. This, as, we, as we go back a little bit further in Acts in the next few minutes, an, an after had to happen because if we, if we died to sin, something had to happen to remit that sin. Something had to happen in our personal lives to say, I've died to sin and I'm no longer held accountable for those previous sins. What must that be? I know it's popping in your minds. So Acts chapter 2. It happens. It's stated and it happened. And it's happening even unto this day. Lord willing, it happens. Acts chapter 2. That's John. I went too far. Let's go back to Acts. Acts chapter 2. Around verse 38. Right after Peter closes his sermon his actual first gospel sermon <clears throat> if my pages will cooperate Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 the reason why Peter says this was his sermon just pricked the hearts of those men who just killed the son of God that very sinful act of murder you and I think of it as very sinful but in God's eyes it's still sin they just murdered the son of God he he revealed it unto them in verse 23 who you have taken by lawless hands have crucified and put to death that being the son of God in other words he's telling them you just murdered him and as he continues on to that sermon all the way to verse 36 he says this Therefore, let all the house of Israel know, all of the Jews know, assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And that was his closing statement for his servant. And some of those Jews, their ears pricked up and their hearts were changed. And they said, <laughs> my goodness, he's right. He's, he's right. And we, we can't get rid of this horrible sin because previous to this teaching... They rolled their sins forward and they was guilty of them into that day. That's what David said. I rolled these sins forward and I'm guilty unto, for them unto this day. We don't need to be guilty of that. They're, they're thinking in their minds, we need to get rid of it. But what does Peter say? In verse 38. Oh, sorry, this is verse 37. This is what the Jews say. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? If we're guilty of that, what are we going to do? 
Whereas if you study the history of Israel and all the times they rebelled against God, God separated himself from them. How about uh, just after Egyptian captivity? Did they have to walk around in the wilderness? Were they not able to enter into the promised land? Why? Because of their unbelief and their disobedience to God. They rebelled against God. What do you think they just did here? They just rebelled against God by killing his son. But Peter said, there's a way out. They're asking for a way out. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Verse 38 of Acts chapter 2. Then Peter said to them, Repent. What does that word mean? It means to turn away from. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What does that word baptized mean? It means to be immersed for the remission of sins. And that's what Peter told them. And after hearing that, 3,000 folks changed their hearts, repented of their sin, and was immersed for the remission of those sins. 3,000. What a wonderful first message, right? What a wonderful kickoff to giving some preaching. 3,000 souls changed their life. They went from having a before to an after. Before they was guilty of those sins, were they not? They was guilty of them. And after this immersion, after this repentance, well, guess what? They're no longer held accountable. They've been forgiven. They're justified. They've had an after. They have had after. So we see in Romans chapter 6, Verses 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? No, if you do that, you, you trample the name of the Son of God underfoot. We count His blood a common thing. You, God considers you his, his adversary or His enemy. The word adversary is going to come up. Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? So as you and I, as a child of God, has had an after. We've been immersed. We've put Christ on. We're walking hand in hand with Him. Oh, we're supposed to be. But we have an option. We have a choice. We have a choice which leads us to Romans chapter 8 in verse 1. What does that verse read? I want you to read along with it. You may know this verse by heart. I want you to read along with me when I read it. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. These men who just gave up their sinful walk, those 3,000 souls and all those souls unto this day have given up sin. Do you think they lived a perfect life? No, they have not. We're still fallible. We're still sinful. But what this is saying is condemnation exists if you don't put your best foot forward in the service of God, condemnation exists after immersion. Condemnation exists for the children of God. What, what, wait, what did I just say? Those who are erring. Ah, oh, there you go. That's a little better. We also read that Peter reveals unto us that a child of God cannot sin. Well, if I read that verse, is I'm... I'm immersed. I'm baptized for the remission of sins. I can't sin. That's not what that reads. 
That is not way that not is not what that means when we read that. It's not giving us permission. Peter's not giving us permission to go out and sin. Paul said we died to it. If you die to something, you want nothing to do with it. So we learn in Acts chapter 2 that there is a remission of sin. We learn in Romans chapter 6 that we died to sin. And even though we died to it, we can an opportunity to return back to it. So as we're still in Romans chapter 8, look down in verse 11. Since there is a before and now there is an after, well, what's the point of having an after? What's the point of giving up our before? What's the point of having this wonderful thing that, that makes a transition? I will say this. When you remodel your house, effort has to be put in. Work has to be put in. Uh, walls have to be painted. The flooring may need to be updated or, or changed. The ceilings may need to be painted. Your fixtures have to be... Someone has to put the work in. Is it? Well, I'm just going to remodel it, set in the corner, watch it happen. That Trust me, that don't work. Does not work. Some effort has to be put in to go from a before to an after. Verse 11, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. You might ask, is it worth it? Is it worth it to go from a before to an after? It's worth it. It's worth it. I make this comment often and I'll continue to make it. When are you going to breathe your last? When are you going to pass from this earth to the next? When are you going to go from here to judgment? When is that going to happen? Can you tell me? I can't tell you. You can't tell me neither. So why aren't we ready? Why isn't the world ready? Why aren't those who are still in there before abiding there? Why don't they make the transition? If they don't see the worth in it. They don't see the worth. How about Christ abiding in you? How about having a peace of mind to know that when you leave this earth, glory waits for you. Colossians 3, 4. When Christ who is our life appears, make sure He is your life, then she'll also appear with Him in glory. But as God raised the Son from the grave... So as, so as also He will raise His children from the grave. Those who are not His children, those still abiding in there before, they're going to be left behind. They're going to be left behind. I didn't mark this one, so I'm going to have to turn there. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, in verse 26. We referenced this as well many times. But I want us to dive into it again. As I find it. Come on. Keep working pages. <clears throat> Again, condemnation exists after baptism, after immersion, after putting Christ on. Condemnation exists. We just read that, did we not? Romans chapter 8, verse 1. So here we're going to see it in the writer of Hebrews in chapter 10 and verse 26. 
This is if you know what to do and don't do it, or if you do those things that God tells you to not do, or vice versa. For if we sin willfully, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Go back to our example in our, in our scripture in Acts chapter 2 and verse 37. When those men were cut to the heart, they asked this question, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Their question is, what can we do to get rid of this horrible sin? They felt bad. They felt like they had let God down. Those were God's chosen people. And they had let God down by killing His Son. In our mortal minds, I can't think of anything worse than killing the Son of God. I can't. Now keep in mind, God sees that sin just as bad as we lie. Just as bad as we don't have fellowship with the Christians. Just as we don't meet like we're supposed to. Just like we don't say and do and think things like we're supposed to. God sees that as equals. A sin is a sin. So if we sin willfully, if we do the things on purpose that's displeasing in the eyes of God, you become His adversary. Why is the word adversary? I said it was coming up. Look at verse 27. No longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and, defire, and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. And that's poor for a reason. Because God has many adversaries. They are abiding in their before. Just as you and I once abode in our before. Why can I say that? Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 1 through 4. Ephesians chapter 2. Starting with We can say we once abode in our before, but now we have an after. We need to stay in our after. Because we don't want that greater condemnation. We don't want to be God's adversary expecting fiery indignation. That doesn't like sound like a peace of mind at all. And you, he made alive. This is a before to an after baptism. Before baptism and after baptism. Now you are alive if you have done so. And you, he made alive who were past tense dead in trespasses and sins. I want to ask you a question. How many of you have ever remodeled your house? Would you take all that stuff down, all that effort down, and put all the old stuff back? Would you do that? There was a purpose why you remodeled, right? To update everything. You wouldn't put the old stuff back in it. Why not? We do realize when we revert back to our sinful things, that's exactly what we do. We put our sins back on. We're no longer forgiven. We're now an erring child of God expecting a fiery indignation. We should expect that lake of fire if we're wearing sin. Don't wear sin. Keep those new appliances in your home. Keep your new light switches in your home. Keep your good, nice new ceiling fans in your ceiling. Keep it remodeled. Keep yourself as a child of God. Don't abide in sin because He made you alive through the sacrifice through His Son. In verse 2, carrying on, And once you once walked according to the course of this world, what's the course of this world? At previous, excuse me, after Adam and Eve, what was the course of this world? Sinfulness. 
For Christ died while we were yet sinners. Christ died for the ungodly while they were still sinners. He died for you as you were still a sinner, as you were still lost, as you were still condemned. Christ died for you so that condemnation can be removed, so you can have an after, no longer walking according to the course of this world, because guess who is according to the course of this world? The prince of the power of the air. Uh, this, this is Satan, by the way. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. You know what the outcome of the sons of disobedience is? The wrath of God. That sounds horrible. We've seen examples of the wrath of God, have we not? Complete civilizations destroy the wrath of God. Verse 3, In whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. Here's the but. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now I know we're going to have to run over. I know this text, by grace you have been saved, is ticking out of context so much. If I just use that, all I need is God's grace. That's it. That's all I need. God's gracious enough to save me. How do you access that grace through His Son? How do you access the Son through immersion? What's the point of immersion? To wash your sins away. So what, to wash my sins away, what do I got to do? Repent of your sins. Well, what's going to lead me to repenting of my sins? Belief in the instructions from God. Reading and not having knowledge of His Word. That's going to lead you to knowing what you're doing is wrong. What you're doing is going to condemn you on Judgment Day. And it is coming, by the way. To put Christ on. To be immersed or baptized for the remission of sins. Becoming a child of God. No longer having anything to do with your before. We use this in Bible class. For Christ says no one putting their hand to the plow and looking backwards is fit. You don't fit in the kingdom of God. You put your hand to the plow and look forward. Colossians 3, 1, seeking those things which are above. Set your mind on things above. If you are raised with Christ, do those things. And of course, Colossians 3, 4, that's one of my favorites, as y'all can tell. When Christ, who is our life, appears. Think about that. Is Christ going to appear one day? Ladies and gentlemen, yes, He is. Friends, Christ is coming back. We need to be ready. When Christ, who is our life, appears. The who is our life is exceedingly important in that verse. In our context, in our now after baptism, in our righteous living, in our instruments of righteousness, that, that we should be walking faithfully with a crown of life promised for us. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then we shall also appear with Him in glory. Think about that. Think about that in your status with God. Are you saved? Are you continually saved right now by faithfully living? If you're stepping away from your duties of God, if you have taken that short walk with Satan and you've said, God, I've got this. I don't, I don't need you. Folks do that. They're doing it this morning. 
by sitting on their couch, laying in the bed, staying in the field, not meeting with the saints. That's what they're saying. They're saying, God, I've got this. I don't need you. I don't need your instructions. That's, that's condemned. That's to say that you have your own righteousness and you can save yourself. Christ explicitly tells us in John 15, verse 5, without Him we can do nothing. We can't save ourselves. By it's the power of God. We just read that in Romans. Chapter 8, verse 11. By it's the power of God that resurrected Jesus. By the power of God, He will resurrect you. And they are too. One for the living and one for the dead. Which one will you be? Do you need to go from dead to living? Why don't we do so as we stand and we sing the song of invitation?